All right, well, good morning, everybody. Amen. Somebody say, good morning, Marcus. That's good. Amen. That's good. Well, it's good to be with you guys. Always a treat. It's always a pleasure. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to dive in. We have a lot of ground, a lot of ground to cover. And so whenever you preach narratives, whenever you preach an Old Testament story, uh, you have to allot a lot of time for it. Amen. So the next hour, amen. Um, no, we, we're going to journey and just really retell the story uh, about what we're going to look at this morning. I'm excited again. Welcome, um, say hi to Hendersonville campus this morning. Those watching online, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope it was phenomenal. I hope you got able, you're able to eat what you wanted to eat. Hope uh, um, just you had a good time with family and friends. I hope it was a really good time because I know that this time and this season can be a little bit different. It can be, it can be a little bit of drama. It can be some tension. Um, it could be um, not as pleasant. And so I really pray that you guys had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. You see, this season... It's a special one in so many ways. This season that we're in right now, as we kick off this new series, the Advent series, this particular season, all of us, if you're living and breathing right now, uh, is extremely special to us and to many of us for different reasons. In other words, maybe it's just family, family coming in town. Uh, maybe you guys do a little um, drawing on who gets to um, um, purchase a different gift for different people within the family. Maybe that's a fun thing you guys do. Almost like a draft, if you will. I don't know, but maybe you get that name, you're like, shoot, right? I don't know. But, but, but maybe it's the family. Maybe it's food, right? Tradition uh, with the food, with traditions and different things you do in this season. Maybe it's the, the smell of Christmas. I love the smell of Christmas. I love the smell of it. I love the candles. I love all that. Maybe it's just watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation uh, 10 times on TBS. Amen. And so... Maybe it's that. Maybe it's Home Alone. Maybe it's the elf. Maybe it's uh, the Christmas story. I don't know what it may be for you, but this series uh, is going to really hit at something very special. This Advent series, Advent really means this, the coming of Christ, expecting the coming of Christ. So this season is special for many reasons, but there's this other element within this season that um, there's pros and cons to it. In other words, this term waiting. So this morning, I'm going to steal the thunder up front. We're going to talk about waiting. And by the way, I don't think anybody in this room really, truly enjoys, enjoys to wait. I've never seen a person sitting in a waiting room for four, five, six, seven, eight hours, and they're sitting there just going, do, 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 right? No, man, what happens? Something inside of us gets a little indignant. Everybody say indignant. Something inside of us gets a little frustrated. Something inside of us gets a little, everybody say sideways. So whether if you're on 26, again, I've never seen anybody on, we talk about 26 a lot. Um, man, props to those that work on um, the highways and, and the roads in our area. I know we, we, we do bark about it a lot, but, but 26, I don't enjoy sitting on 26 traffic. I don't. I just, when I get on and I see, y'all know what it's like. When you get on and you sit already backed up, but it's too late to actually back up. And you see cars making just these illegal turns, turning around, going the opposite way. I'm going, man, I cannot do that. I'm an African-American pastor in a predominantly white area. I can't do it. <laughs> they're going to they're know. My wife always tells me, she goes, Marcus, you can't do certain things in this area. She goes, why? I go, why? Why? What you mean? She goes, you know why. Amen. <laughs> but maybe it's waiting there. Maybe it's uh, just waiting. Again, we all handle waiting differently. 
So it's funny, even like with transitions, I noticed this over the, the last several years, transitions, people handle transitions differently. And so I understand this as well when it comes to waiting, but how do we wait biblically? We all handle it in a different way. But see, we don't mind waiting when we understand the end of the story. We don't mind waiting when just as a family, maybe you get, um, you finally nail down that date and you got the family vacation marked on the calendar and you guys are counting down this actual uh, day and time as a family. You, you're excited. You count that down. You guys are all stoked. Everybody's ready to go. Maybe it's you get engaged and you're anticipating this, this grand day called a wedding. You can't, you're excited, right? The waiting is just, it bubbles over in you and you're, you're so excited. Here's what I want to say this morning. You and I, we have multiple choices when it comes to waiting. But this morning, as we look at this text and we look at a certain character by the name of King Ahaz, he didn't wait well. King Ahaz, he didn't wait well. And by the way, I must say this, that you and I, when it comes to seasons of waiting, we're not exempt when it comes to this in life. Do you know biblical theology shows us that many different biblical characters, they had to wait throughout life. This is ingrained in the fabric of existence for you and I, all of us. At some point in time, you say, Marcus, well, I don't have to wait much often or, you know, too often. Why? Because, well, maybe you just, you manipulate things. But all of us at some point in time, we're going to have to, we are going to have to actually wait. And the question is going to be this, not just waiting, but how do you and I wait well, Hendersonville? So Abraham, he had to wait 25 to 30 years before The promise came true. Jacob, 14 years. He wanted Rachel, got Leah. The Bible says she had a lazy eye. She was ugly. Amen. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. 14 years. He waited another seven years, worked for it. Joseph had to wait 24 years before his dream was fulfilled. Even Mary had to wait 30 years. Even Jesus, starting of his ministry, had to wait 30 years. And by the way, Jesus is still waiting. He's waiting to come back. So you and I, as we, let's, let's download this extremely practically, but also theologically. As we get into this Advent series, yes, there's this anticipation, excitement of celebration for what's to come. But I think on the table this morning, what the Lord wants us to know and what he wants us to, to discover for his glory is how will, not just in this season, but how will we wait when the waiting seasons finds, when they find us. Well, it's a lot going on in our text today, Isaiah chapter 9. It's a lot going on. I was reading this, I was going, good Lord, boy, this is a lot of drama. A lot of drama taking place. King Ahaz is going to be our kind of, if you want to call it, primary character. But we're going to look at Isaiah 9, 1 through, for the first chunk, I want to read 1 through 7. I'll read all of it, but I'll come back and we're going to just piggyback on two major thoughts in the text and then we'll land the plane. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 says this, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt, right? You see that? Brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. There's a lot of stuff with that, with the Canaanites. God, uh, given that land, those two people were occupying uh, the land when God sent them into the, the promised land, those two peeps. Hold on to that thought. But in the latter time, He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This is interesting. It goes on to say this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. And this is Isaiah, again, prophesying here. 
You have increased its joy. They have rejoiced, they rejoice, excuse me, before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. Like going into the land, all this good stuff, right? For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the, on, of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, if you will, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Very interesting. You know, how does this, what does this have to do with Christmas? A whole bunch. Amen. For to us, obviously the great coffee mug verse, the very famous verse, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Hold on to this last verse, though. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, watch this, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth into and forevermore. This last clause is phenomenal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do, he will do this. So what is going on? That's a lot of verses. It's a lot of drama, like I said a little while ago, a lot of drama taking place in this text. God is dealing with um, his people. King Uzziah has died already. Y'all know that, the famous um, actual verse and chapter in Isaiah 6, right? Who will go for me? That's just a couple chapters before where we're at today. But there's a dominant force rising, if you will, in the Middle East by the name of Assyria. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop. Let me give you a little context, and we will dive into the actual text. All the nations of the Middle East were getting really uptight about Assyrians' rise and their power. They had major power. They were getting nervous about how strong they were becoming. So what did they do? They formed an alliance together. All the other nations, they said, hey, here's what we're going to do. If they're going to rise up and there's all this power, we can't beat them individually. So what we're going to do, we're going to form an alliance together with one another. They wanted Jerusalem's king in on it. They wanted King Ahaz to be a part of it. But King Ahaz, he didn't want any part of it. There's a conflict of personalities here. He says, no, I want to do it my own way. So what happened, the other nations threatened to invade Jerusalem and to put a new guy in power in the seat of Ahaz instead. So here it is. They're, they're, all this stuff is going on, and right in the middle of our text, you get this famous verse, for unto us a child is born. But we have to deal with the context first to really land, to land a plane. You see, the army started putting together plans to make this happen. Ahaz, have you all ever met somebody that, that really doesn't know how to make a decision? This is King Ahaz. Ahaz begins to freak out like a middle school child. At this time, here's what happens. At this time, the king of Assyria comes to Ahaz and offers protection. Offers protection and he would join, if he joined the forces of the Assyrians. Ahaz had no clue what he should do, so um, God sent a messenger, a prophet by the name of Isaiah. This is our text today. He sends Isaiah, and it's funny, just in the previous chapter, God tells Ahaz, hey, Ahaz, whatever you want, Ask a sign of me and make it as deep as Sheol or deep as um, the ground, if you will, but also make it as high as heaven. So in other words, man, if you're going to ask something from me in this season that you're getting ready to walk into, make sure it's big. How many of us, when we, we approach God, we come to him with some very elementary prayers? Sometimes it's important that we come with elementary prayers, but I think God sometimes really wants us to, to take him at his word. 
In the seasons of waiting, and what happens? Ahaz, he freaks out when Isaiah approaches him. He says, hey, Ahaz, hey, don't join either side. God will protect you. This is really just chapter 6, 7, 8, and getting to our text, chapter 9. Ahaz freaks out again. He's nervous. Isaiah falls on his face and tells him, I will give you a sign. The Lord will give you a sign. Ahaz tells um, uh, Isaiah this. He says, don't give me a sign. Have you ever said this? Don't give me a sign. I don't want a sign. Why? If God give me a sign, it gives me a sign. That means that I will have to obey it. See, what happened, Ahaz didn't like what God had to offer. And in our text this morning, we're going to see something very phenomenal. On the backdrop of rebellion, on the backdrop of disobedience to God, on the backdrop of great compromise, on the backdrop of Assyrians taking over God's people and pouncing them, we have this one verb or verse, I mean word, excuse me, right here in Isaiah 9, starting in verse 1, that I think a lot of times we gloss over. If you see it real quick with me, just look right, right real fast. Here it is. Ready? But, but God. A lot of times, again, we will overlook this. You say, Marcus, I don't see but God. I see but, but I don't see but God. Now, mind you, God is speaking to Isaiah and telling Isaiah what to say. But here it is. He says in a backdrop, if you go a little bit further, at the end of um, at chapter 8, verse 21, it says this, they will pass through the land, greatly distressed, talking about God's people, in light of King Ahaz, the king failing them. Great distress and hunger. Have you ever been hangry? Here, here's a picture of it. Great distress and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged. Here it is. It's in the text. Hangry. And will speak craziness, in other words, against their king and their God and turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And then our text starts this morning with but. You know, I'm happy about the buts in scripture. You say, Marcus, you got to be careful what you're saying here because but is a conjunction that, that is complete contrast to what's privilege being said to what's about to be said. So in other words, I'm not here to give you a grammar lesson. I'm not here to give, be an English teacher. And by the way, I'm going to use some, some slang in just a little while, so hang on. But, but the writer, Isaiah, says, but in light of everything going on, in light of King Ahaz not really wanting to hear from God in the, in, in the in route of the season of waiting and hearing what God had for him, um, the text starts by saying, but, but God. I'm excited for this. Why? Because the but gods of Scripture, they need a little more intention. In essence, they mean this. In Genesis 8, 1, uh, you see this, that the waters in the text of Noah, in the story of Noah, the waters were prevailing. They were, they were prevailing, the Bible says. But what happened? The Bible says, but God remembered, but God remembered Noah. Boy, that's good. Genesis 50, 20, y'all know this great story. Joseph going through all this stuff. I mean, the Bible kept saying that God was with him and God was with him and God was with him. He didn't know what was hanging in the balance again. 24 years before he heard the dream or see the dream and the dream becoming um, to existence, here it is, 50, 20 says this. What you meant for evil, God will use it for good. But God meaning will use it for the good, not just for me, but for many. But God. But God, Psalm um, 73, 26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail. Have y'all ever been there before? 
My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and the portion in my portion forever. Romans chapter 5 talks about for a while we were still sinners and weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, but God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died, he died for us. You see, the but gods of Scripture is phenomenal. They're phenomenal. Why? Because even in this text, you and I, we are recipients of this one word, B-U-T. Right now in, in 2019, as you sit right here in Western North Carolina and in Henderson County, here it is. You and I do not take this for granted as you study the Bible. You and I, it doesn't matter what you look like. You are a recipient of this one small little word. And this one small word changed the whole trajectory of what's to come. Even in the seasons of waiting. He says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. It's funny because the writer begins to highlight these different things, but he begins to walk through them. Put up verses one through five real quick. He begins to highlight certain things. I want to just point out a couple things, uh, and then we'll really dive back into this point of but God. But there will be no gloom for her, right? Remember the previous text talked about all this dismay and just distress, right? He says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Keep going. But in the latter, so horrible, coming forth, greater, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. Okay? Now, by the way, this is interesting because this sea, if you look at history, this is where Jesus would spend a lot of his ministry in Galilee. As a matter of fact, he would actually leave Nazareth and go to, uh, you know, go to Galilee in this region. And a lot of the Pharisees and a lot of the people were dumbfounded by why Jesus would do this. We see this in John 7. Matter of fact, many of them were upset that Jesus would leave where they thought he ought to serve and do ministry. He ups and packs his bags and he goes to this sea, the Sea of Galilee, in this region of Galilee. And here Isaiah 700 years before proclaims it, the Galilee of the nations. By the way, you see not just this, but Gentiles included in this, this message. Go to the next verse. The people who walked in darkness, notice the text. It says walked, past tense. They walked past tense in darkness. Have seen, past tense, a great light. Those who dwelt in a land, dwelt past tense, in a land of deep darkness. On them has, in other words, it's happening right now, has light shown. You have multiplied the nations. Here it is. You have increased his joy, this, this great celebration or anticipation. This anticipation he embeds in these, the wording. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. God's people would have known what this means. And he goes on to say this, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. So again, he's saying, remember, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as of the day of Midian. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, remember Judges 6? You remember when God de defeated the Midianites, right, with, um, with Gideon? He's saying, remember that. Remember, look back. For every boot of, of trample, and really, I'm going to summarize this real quick. This is what this means. Right here on this screen, this means this. Whenever God's people pounce on somebody or a different army, this is what would happen to the actual people. All of it. So they will burn their boots. They will roll their garments in blood. And they will use all, I know this kind of graphic, but they will use all of this as fuel for victorious fire, as imagery 
that God is supreme and he, he's in control. You see, but God, even in this text right here, one through nine, or excuse me, one through five, the, the, the Lord begins to show God's people, I want you to look back a little bit to see what I've done. You see, we at the, you and I, what happens, you and I, we, we, we can look back and see God clearer when we see what he's already done for us in the past. The great theologian Trip Lee said this, don't dwell on the past unless it's Golgotha. Don't dwell on the past unless, it, unless it's Golgotha. So what, what did King Ahaz miss? God's promise, even in the midst of not so great wording or a great message coming from the prophet. Well, he missed this, that God's word was going to be with him. He had God's word. He had God's presence. I'm going to make this happen past tense. In other words, um, it's, it's done already, and you're going to experience it in the present tense, the latter, God's presence, but also he missed the fact that God's character is online. God's character is online. One great theologian said this, the future is as bright as God's promises. John Wesley said that. So I don't know where you're at right now. So I know life can be tough. Life can be hard. I understand this. But the future is only as bright as God's promises. You see the verbs used here a little while ago, walk in the past tense, have seen. What do they see? A light. In Jewish culture, this meant something. The audience would have known this. Why? Because this was a name. Light was associated with the coming Messiah in time. So in other words, they heard this, this great light, the Jewish culture, they would have known this by tradition, that this is an indisputable, indisputable prophecy about the Lord's coming. They would have known this in the immediate context. The Bible says they dwelt in a deep darkness. Notice the progression. They walked in darkness before, but they just didn't walk in it before. They actually lived in it. But this great light is going to help them get out of it. Here's what I want to point out. This is a picture of depravity. It's a picture of depravity. Ephesians talks about this, how our hearts are, they're darkened, they're callous. And, and Paul, the writer, gives us this crazy list of how things, the progression of our hearts, your heart, my heart, when it comes to um, how we view ourselves in light of the gospel. Well, here's what the gospel is. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare to believe. Really, I'm a good person. I'm not that bad, man. I'm, I'm pretty good. No, 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 no. Hear me say this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we would ever dare to believe. Yet, he said, but God moment. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare to hope. This is the gospel. And this great light is shown, it's shown on them. Light changes everything. Light changes everything. It changes everything. The light of the gospel, the light of this anticipation of Jesus coming. This is what the writer is talking about. The light of the gospel means this. In other words, your salvation. You ought to be excited this morning. Why? Because the light of the gospel shone in darkness, 400 years of silence. Now we have salvation based on this long waiting period called the advent. But now here it is. Jesus comes and he offers you and I salvation only in his work and by his work only. But the light of the gospel also gives you a new outlook on life. Some of you guys, you're down and out. Right now, you're down and out. But I'm going to tell you something. The gospel will change the way you look at life, the outlook. And I'm going to give you some end time stuff that's embedded in this text. This, is, this text is, is, this is really biblical theology. 
Genesis, all the way in the middle, and then all the way to Revelation. And you'll see it in just a little while. But, but also how we look at, the, how we all have our look on life, right? The light of the gospel. But what about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood? You and I, this is the light of the gospel. It helps us understand how we ought to function, our role in the house, our role in society, our role in church, the text, the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus in your life and in my life helps us see what biblical manhood and biblical womanhood looks like. But see, the light of the gospel is shown on us because you know this, Jesus has already come. We see this and we know this. As the reader looking at this text, this hadn't happened yet. But this light shown on them for us today means this. What about the stewardship of the gospel? The stewardship of the gospel. You and I, we're going to have a great opportunity this month to invite our friends and family to be a part of hearing the greatest story ever told. The birth of Jesus Christ. The stewardship of the gospel. But not only that, sharing our faith on a regular basis. What about the light of the gospel shining in your home. It's hard stuff, but light always penetrates darkness. It always penetrates darkness. There's a word in our family that we, that I love to use more than my wife, but it's the word maybe. Maybe. So our girls, you know, they literally want to go to different places. They want to go birthday parties. They want to go to this. They want to go on, a, you know, around the world tomorrow, right? I mean, they want everything. Can we go here? And I'll say, maybe. You see, maybe is profound. Maybe is extremely profound. Stay with me. It's so profound. The reason I really love to use it, because maybe it gives the parent a way out. (laughs) Because my yes is kind of on the table, but it's really not on the table. So, Papa, you know, can we go to 12 birthday parties this Saturday? Maybe. I got a way out. Can we go to Disneyland or Disney World tomorrow? Maybe. I got a way out. But it's funny to watch their response. When I say maybe, it gives them this small glimpse of hope. Like maybe. I'm not going to say the movie, but um, y'all will know it if I say it. But it's, it's it's a guy talking to a lady, and he says, tell me my chances. And, um, and she goes, you know, your chances are not, they're not that good. Some of y'all know where I'm going. And he goes, so like one in a hundred? She goes, no. More like one in a million. And he goes, oh. Right? And he says this, so you say I have what? A chance. Aren't you glad this morning based on this text, this text right now? Aren't you excited for the fact of going into waiting seasons, wherever you may be at in life? Aren't you glad that we don't serve a God of maybes? We don't serve a God that's saying, I want to find my way out. I know that they've they've caused all this drama down here. I know that it's because of their issues, not because of me. I'm glad this morning that I don't serve a maybe God. I do serve a God of yes, no, and wait. No maybes. Here's the good thing about this. God is all in on you. Let me ask you this. Are you all in on him? God is all in on you. But are you all in on on him, And so the text says, these things will happen. But they hadn't happened yet, so God's timing. It's all about God's timing. You see, God's relationship to timing is completely different than yours and mine. We're restricted by time. God is not restricted by time at all. But the writer Isaiah, he writes these things as if they have already taken place. God said it, it must be a done deal. So we cannot judge God by our calendars. You and I, stay with me. This is very practical. God may appear to be slow. But he never forgets his promises. 
He may seem to be working very slowly or even beginning to forget his promises or even forgetting you. But when his promises come true, and they will come true, they always burst the banks of what you imagine. He always comes through. God's grace virtually never operates on our time frame, on our schedule, that we consider reasonable. That's revolutionary, isn't it? The fact that you and I, we try to downplay God. This is what King Ahaz wanted. In our text, he wanted what he wanted in that moment. I want to be king. I want to deliver the people. I want all this stuff right now. And God gives him this crazy, crazy promise. I want you to remember what I've already done, but stay right here. Hadn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. It's mind-blowing. It's like looking at the emojis. Y'all know emojis? The fact that God does not work on your timetable, it will do this to you. God, I want this right now, whatever this may be. I want this right now. I want you to move in this relationship right now. I want you to, and we're demanding, and God, he, he wants to work in our lives, but there's a, there's a way in which how he works. And I'm going to talk about his sovereignty and providence in just a little bit. But it's revolutionary that even in this text, King Ahaz is going, I'm not going to wait on you. I know your prophet is telling me what I ought to do. I know even you said, hey, ask of a sign and I will give it to you. God speaks straight to King Ahaz, but King Ahaz go, nope, I want to manipulate the situation. And we, even today, we look at King Ahaz and go, man, why'd you do that? But we're the same way. It blows our minds. And then you get ahead of the Lord. Check this one out. You ever been there? Like, you get ahead of the Lord, and it's like, uh, right? That's not good. But I love this text. Why? Because it offers this last emoji. It offers us this. I mean, it offers this to us. You ready? Bang. You and I can smile. Why? Because as believers, our waiting is not based upon theoretical assumptions. Your waiting and my waiting, it's not based on theoretical theory or assumptions out there or assumptions or assuming ideologies. But our waiting is based on theological assurance. But God. So what happens? God's sovereignty, he allows everything to happen. Nothing trumps his sovereignty, but his providence is how he accomplishes his sovereignty. Nothing trumps it, so therefore he's, he's not in time like we would want him to be in time. He's outside of time, so therefore time works for him. He created time, and so therefore the fact that he created time, time started when he created time. So before time started, what was God limited by? Nothing. He simply existed. So God is sovereign. Nothing in your life trumps his sovereignty. We sang about how he's, he's God above all. He's sovereign. You see this even in this text, and Ahaz had a hard idea or hard understanding of understanding it, but you have this sovereignty perspective, but also this providence. Here, how he's going to allow it to happen. So here's some things we can do, you and I, in waiting seasons. We can wait wrong, you know. We can think things like, God must be mad at me. We develop a bellhop vending machine theology. God, I want to manipulate this thing. I want to make this thing work for me just right now, right now, right now, instead of trusting the process. And we're going to get to this great promise starting in verse 6. We desire God first, but usually it's his hand that we really want. We don't want his face. We want his hand. I just want his, I, want, I don't want you. I don't want your presence. I don't want, 
all of you. I don't want to just bask at your feet. I don't want just the glory and the majesty of sitting before a holy, majestic God. But really, all I want is your hand. A lot of us, we approach waiting seasons like that. I know I can say the same. We circumvent the process. God, I'm going to help you out. Ever been there? Have you ever done that? I'm going to help you out. Two ditches we can fall out, we can find ourselves in. Ready? The danger of misreplacing God, and King Ahaz will ultimately replace God. He will start fellowshipping with these other nations, start worshiping their other gods, start sacrificing to their other gods, and then, I mean, it's, it's horrible things. Go back and do some, some reading on this. So when you replace God, ultimately what happens is you will reject him. And this is what King Ahaz ultimately did. And then what happens, we get cynical attitudes, we, we begin to complain. God, what about me? We complain around. Nobody likes to be around somebody that complains a lot. But see, when your complaining is at an all-time high, that means that your praise is at an all-time low. It's at an all-time low. So what else? What can we learn from waiting? We can learn this. I've seen it in my own life. Waiting seasons reveals our motives. They reveal your motives. Because at the end of the day, you have to deal with Scripture. If you, if you really deal with Scripture and deal with God, you have to really look yourself in the mirror. And the mirror really is the Word of God. And as you're waiting, whatever you're waiting for, and I think it's safe to say that all of us in this room, we're waiting for something. We're waiting for the prodigal. We're waiting for better health results. We're waiting for whatever the case may be. We're all waiting. So in essence, be careful because in waiting, we can learn, we can learn, you can learn what your motives truly are. But also in waiting, you learn patterns of sin. Just patterns. Waiting, you can learn this. You can build patience in your life. It transforms your character. It can develop a deeper, robust dependency upon God. This is what waiting can do and will do in your life. He waits, but he waits wrong. And then lastly, looking at verse 6, the text says, for us, for to us. You ready? Let's throw that up. Even when, let's go to the text. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase, this is beautiful, of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is what this text is saying. There was going to be a king that would reign on David's throne. And this king is Jesus. So for unto us, a child is born. Our house right now, we have two levels. And it's a phenomenon with all girls. I'm not just picking on girls here, but we have all girls. And so they get a little catty. Amen. A little catty. And so you will be upstairs doing whatever, cooking, chilling, me and a wife. And all we hear is, stop, stop. It starts going all, it's, it's all going all out. And so my wife will go to the, the, the stairs, the top of the stairs, because the playroom is downstairs. They're little, they're little she shed. Amen. I call it their she shed. And so toys everywhere. So she'll go to the top of the stairs. And she'll say, um, hey, girls, y'all need to figure this out. 
Make it work. Hey, take turns. Revolutionary, isn't it? Right? Uh, uh, let so-and-so go first. And so, okay, 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 okay. So my wife come back in. We're talking, doing what we got to do. And uh, back at it. I'm like, dang, what is that down there, right? So my wife goes back to the stairs, the top of the stairs. They've already got advice. They've already received my wife's word. But now the language changes. Now she'll say something like this. Don't make me come what? Ooh, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't make me come down there. Isn't this the message of Christmas? Isn't this the message of this season? That we could not fix it ourselves. God had to come down. King Ahaz had God's word. Isaiah gave him his word. God gave Ahaz his word. And still, it didn't work. It was a lot of catty stuff. God says, don't make me come down there, but guess what? I'm going to come down anyway. For, us, for unto us a child is born. Jesus had to be born. He had to be born. And a son is given. So in other words, Jesus will become something that he wasn't before. Humanity, but not giving up what he had always been, deity. You see, the God-man, he had to be born. You see, Jesus is the selfie of God. If you want to see God's face, look at Jesus. But then he starts giving these, the writer starts giving these great names or attributes towards, towards Jesus. And these are not just basic names. These names highlight and indicate the character of the coming king. He starts off by saying this. He'll be a wonderful counselor. Let me answer this question. It's very easy. Have you lost wonder of who the Lord is, the greatness of his majesty, and what he's done for you? Have you lost wonder today, even going into this season? Have you lost wonder? He knows people. He can counsel us properly. He knows you. He made you. He's able to diagnose your problems, my problems. He has the right solutions. In other words, King Ahaz, he wanted something in particular or specific. God says, I'm going to send you a baby. You mean to tell me all this that I'm going through and you're sending me a baby? This is the irony in the text. This is really the irony of the text. And by the way, you and I will point fingers at King Ahaz, but we're just like King Ahaz. We want all this stuff in the midst of um, life and as we journey through life, even in waiting seasons, but God is saying, I know exactly what you want. His name is Jesus. I know exactly what you need, and his name is, his name is Jesus. So he gives us the right solution. He knows how to hear us properly. He knows how to counsel you and I properly. Don't you know that Jesus was um, humanity himself? He was perfect humanity. He lived humanity to the full max. Jesus knows how to be more human than you and I. So he can tell us how better, how we ought to be a better person. Not only that, he can tell us and let us know who we ought to be in light of who God created us to be. Because our humanity has been messed up by the presence of sin. So he can tell us how to be you or me that we were created to be. Boom! He can, he can tell you. Why? Because he's a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the mighty God. We need strength. You and I, I know we do. I need it. You need it. We need strength. But when we need strength in our weakness, the Bible declares he is mighty God. Really, in Hebrew, that means he's the God hero. He's the God hero. He's the God hero. He's the everlasting father. When you need hope that won't fade away, remember he is the everlasting father who is, who was, who is, and who is to come. He's also the Prince of Peace. We need that rest in peace. So in other words, he is. 
He is. God is. And the fact that God is, that means, that means you ain't. I told Hendersonville this last week, they're chuckling and cracking up. That's bad grammar, but that's some good theology. The fact that God is the wonderful counselor, the fact that God is the mighty God, the fact that God is, even when we, we doubt him in seasons of waiting, even when uh, we, we, we know or we hear these words of him being wonderful, and by the way, wonderful is not attributed to nobody else in scripture but God. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. God is. And so on the other side of that, that means this for you and I, when we embark on journeys of waiting, that we, are, we ain't. So look at your neighbor real quick and say, you ain't. Some of y'all look at your spouse like, I'm, you really need to hear this. Amen. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and say, you ain't. You ain't. See, what happens a lot of times is you and I, we allow the busyness of our lives overshadow the isness of who God is. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I am these things. So what do we do? How do we land this? So the, the Bible says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is an end times prophecy. This is saying that not only will Jesus be born, this is 700 years before it even happens, but this is reaching into revelation that this kingdom this government shall reign forever in his zeal his character his sovereign purpose his providence he's going to make sure it happens and we will worship him forever in eternity amen that's the text so what do we do here's a couple couple nuggets the first one is this in seasons of waiting waiting can become a time of worship it really can King Ahaz forfeited this, but it can become a time of worship for you and I. Second, don't waste or manipulate the waiting. This is what King Ahaz did. We're just learning from him. He wasted it in his own ideas, ideology, but then he also tried to manipulate it. Next. Remember his, capital H, his faithfulness. In seasons of waiting, what did he tell them early on? I'm going to do these things. Hey, by the way, you remember when um, I pounced on, I broke all the, the oppressors of the Midianites? I did all that. I did it. I did it. I did it. You and I, when we look back, we can see God clearer and you can see his faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness in seasons of waiting. And lastly, this is what we overlook in this text. I think it's phenomenal. God gave Ahaz his word and he promised him the assurance of his presence. So same for you and I. In seasons of waiting, you have God's word and you will have his, his presence. Waiting can be hard. It's not the fact if you embark on a waiting season, it's just when. And then when you do, how will you handle it? Remember the but God moments. And even when you don't understand, he is. It means you ain't. You can trust him.